Salutations! Welcome to Spiritual Blitherings, Philosophical Ponderings, and Everything Ramblings at the Hopeful Humanist Cafe. This is a Just Some Guy production. I'm that guy, your host, Steve the Hopeful Humanist. Today we're going to talk about a decent flow of the good life and resources for our spiritual toolbox. Today I'm especially grateful. I think I'm going to start off on a gratitude note. I think it's something that we should often do uh, each and every day. I'm also uh, quite fond of and uh, mindful of trying to do gratitude texts where you know especially during some difficult moments you deliberately intentionally send a text to someone about the things that you're grateful for and uh, share some warm fuzzies it's a way to combat those cold prickly so yeah uh, my uh, gratitude thought for today is uh, I'm fortunate to be a part of an organization that I would describe as a learning organization, openness to um, embracing new ideas, uh, mindful about groupthink, and trying to tackle that kind of uh, solidified reality that after a, a period of time you kind of just do things this way because that's the way we've always done it. So yeah, definitely I'm a part of a learning organization. And uh, to that end, uh, we each as uh, valued um, employees uh, have an opportunity for a training allowance, an annual training allowance. So I have uh, some monies that are available for me to do training each year. And that's important and helpful because as a uh, psychotherapist, um, a poly, uh, you know, a part of the uh, College of Psychotherapy in Ontario, a requirement is that uh, we need to have 40 hours every two years uh, of uh, invested energies in terms of our ongoing uh, professional development. And so I'm grateful that I have an, an organization that supports uh, learning and, I, you know, in a sense I can double dip. So today I will be attending a training session virtually. And... Uh, you know, it's going to help me get my act together. I, uh, I playfully every now and then, sometimes if, if my uh, young ones are um, behind in, in, in a, a very busy day, come on, come on, you got to get your act together. Um, jokingly, right? Uh, playfully. Uh, but, you know, there, there's something about that. You know, you, you know, you need to get your act together. Um, that it's, it's calling us to... Uh, a moment of mindfulness and saying, okay, you know, like right now there's a little bit of an obstacle. What do I need to do uh, to, to move forward? Um, and, and it's appropriate that, uh, you know, today I'm thinking about, you know, what is it I, that I need to do to get my act together for my training? Uh, it, because the training I'm attending is called ACT, uh, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy. It's a second module to uh, a module that I've already participated in. There, the modules are each two days of training, and I attended the first day of training, very much enjoyed it. And it talks about a number of different things. And I've been wanting to talk about uh, this, uh, these kind of ideas um, from a self-coaching perspective. The idea of like, how could you kind of coach yourself? Uh, I'm very interested in promoting a self-directed curriculum for wellness. Uh, I, I consider myself a a life coach concierge, which means 
um, encouraging people that if you are going to go and get support from a life coach, you know, what are the things that you, you should be aware of? What are the questions you should be asking so that you can get good fit? Uh, and what are the things that you should be seeing as possible red flags? Additionally, uh, I see myself as a self-care ambassador, constantly bringing uh, to the table uh, whatever table I'm sitting at, uh, whether it's in a professional setting or even in a, in a personal leisure setting, just discussions about self-care and taking care of ourselves. And I think that ACT, um, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy, has a lot to offer, not only in terms of a therapeutic context, you know, for instance, if it's a psychotherapist that's uh, providing a service for a person that has a certain struggle, I think it's also something that we could, as individuals, incorporate into our lives in a self-coaching capacity. So in terms of uh, ACT, this, this topic that I've been interested in uh, for a while, um, one of the reasons why I find myself interested in it is that it, it builds upon uh, a cognitive behavioral foundation and, and, and it goes beyond in, in ways that are essential because I think that there are certain uh, limiting parameters with a purely cognitive behavioral approach. And uh, in terms of ACT, uh, there is this idea about fostering and nurturing this thing called psychological flexibility, which is if you were to kind of create a formula, it would be like mindfulness and whatever that is, because that's a big discussion, um, plus uh, values, like an awareness of one's values and uh, this idea of uh, action or committed action, right? So there, and there are these different things that uh, can be barriers to change. And if we become aware of these you know, six processes, six principles uh, that ACT offers, which I'll share in a moment, um, it'll allow us to possibly get over, uh, uh, stand up to, or um, go around or get around these different barriers to, um, ch to change. And, and uh, the acronym is HARD, that at times uh, we could be hooked on uh, certain things, we get hooked uh, we might certain we might fuse with certain thoughts that uh, we're holding to be true when in fact they're not true, um, or you know we could just be attempting to avoid discomfort in this constantly uh, anxiety-provoking world, uh, especially with all the changes uh, that we're experiencing. You know, uh, COVID and post-COVID. Um, well, I, maybe we're still in you know a, a kind of a COVID paradigm. Um, and then the, there's this for, you know, the hard acronym R, remoteness from our values, being disconnected from ourselves. You know, if we're, we're caught up in Instagram, it's not, in, it's not encouraging us to be our authentic selves. It's encouraging us to create an image, uh, foster an image. And this is something that Gabor Mate talks about in his new book, which I think is a great book and people should read. Um, and then the last one is we're doubtful of our goals. We're, 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 not, we're, we're not connected or we're disconnected from our goals. So in terms of ACT, <clears throat> I've got a foundation in place and I want to build upon that foundation today. And I'm hoping to, after this first introductory piece, um, go to a kind of a brief intermission and then come back and share some of the ideas that I uh, discovered or came across or I'm going to be introduced to today in this kind of um, higher level uh, engagement with ACT uh, theory and ACT practices. So what are the six practices um, that comprise ACT? Um, well, the first one is this idea of acceptance and discomfort. In ACT, we're never trying to cast out unwanted thoughts or 
unwanted emotions. Um, we ask ourselves if they're helpful, and if they're not, we try to make room for them. We try to accept that it's a part of our lived experience. And then we try to ask ourselves, you know, knowing that this is the case, we might have these uncomfortable feelings, these uncomfortable thoughts. What are the things that we need to do that we can move in a meaningful direction in terms of what is a purposeful life for ourselves? The second process or principle would be diffusion versus cognitive fusion. So diffusion is this idea of um, getting distance from or unsticking ourselves from these sticky thoughts that seem to hold us down and get in our way. It's over identifying with a thought or a feeling and thinking that that thing, that feeling or that thought is in fact us when it's not. It's a transient experience that's a part of our momentary uh, lived experience uh, as things come and things go. Uh, there's a whole bunch of different diffusion tactics that people could use where you, you know, you acknowledge something um, and you just thank your mind, you know, thank you mind and then you move on. Uh, there's another, um, I'm noticing I'm having the thought that this tactic is whenever, you know, you have a, a, a thought that is holding you back, I'm no good, um, I'll never be able to do it, uh, I always get it wrong, that you step back after kind of asking yourself, how does it feel to have that feeling? And then after you ask yourself, how does it feel to have that feeling, kind of just notice uh, that, it, that it is a thought that is not you. And uh, you find yourself in a situation where you're like, yeah, I'm noticing I'm having the thought that um, I, I don't get things done. And then asking oneself, how does that feel? Kind of creating a distance so we can tap into the present moment, which is the next uh, principle or process, contact with the uh, present moment. So instead of getting kind of stuck or you know pulled back to the past or fixated on the future, the idea is being fully present in the here and now, and this is where the mindfulness stuff comes in. And then there's the principle of uh, self as a context versus self as a concept. Uh, not uh, this idea of me as a fixed entity that's unchanging, but more of uh, seeing myself as an unfolding process that over time, can transcend and go beyond these thoughts and feelings that I momentarily might have and that I can then move in a direction of a meaningful life. And for that to happen, we need uh, the next principle or value, which is values versus lack of values. Knowing why is it that you spend your money on this or spend your time on that? And, or why did you choose this or why did you choose that? It's the revelatory nature of the way in which we're spending our time and money and the choices that we make that reveal the values that are important to us and to become mindful and deliberate about those values, to embrace those values into our lives. And then there's this last uh, process or principle, committed action versus aimlessness. And so this idea that when we become aware of things, when we notice, and noticing is a big component of ACT, um, action and commitment therapy, uh, acceptance and commitment therapy, um, the idea is once you become aware of those values, once you ground yourself in the present and you kind of create some distance from the, the past and, and, and the future, and you can get a sense and an orientation of the things that are meaningful and, and valuable to you, then you can start to ask yourself questions like, how can I move in that direction? And then you're creating action plans to move in those directions. And uh, you know, when we're doing that, of course, we would do um, uh, smart goal planning and ask ourselves, is it you know, realistic, is it attainable, is it measurable, is it timely, those kind of things. So that is the kind of the, the takeoff point for 
what I'm hoping to share today. Uh, I'm actually, I just reviewed, sharing those thoughts was a review of the, um, the notes that I made when I, I, I attended the, uh, the last session of ACT. And so it was a great way of me kind of um, summarizing what I have on the table. And then uh, after the break, um, I can expand upon that in terms of the, the new stuff. So if I was to identify and try to capture what ACT is, I would say it's, you know, it's more about explaining less and doing more. And, you know, what is, it's the question of, you know, asking the question, what is getting in the way of change and together letting us figure that out um, in terms of, you know, what is it, what is it that you're looking for? So words that could be used to describe ACT would be that it's pragmatic and that it's experiential and it's grounded uh, in the here and the now. So there's a kind of a, a grounded optimism about what's possible. So I know I, I can tell, and I've, I've only had one cup of coffee and I'm not even halfway you know, through that cup of coffee, but uh, I, I'm aware that I've been talking quite fast because my session is actually gonna be starting quite soon. And I'm excited about it. I, I like learning. Um, I'm even okay with virtual learning. There's a certain comfort uh, that I have for me uh, available today by being able to be at home and be able to go upstairs and get uh, a hot beverage should I need it. I'm only gonna have one coffee and the rest of my beverages will probably be decaffeinated coffee or tea. And so thank you um, for uh, joining me for this, this intro into what's going to be um, a learning opportunity for both of us as we get our act together. Okay, welcome to module one. Well, what I'm calling module one, this experience, this listening experience is gonna be comprised of a number of modules over uh, the next couple of days as I kind of summarize and capture the discussion that's unfolding uh, in terms of the workshop that, the workshop that I'm attending uh, but before I offer any kind of summary thoughts about the beginning of the day, it's lunch right now, um, I'd like to just uh, note and highlight that uh, at my website, www.soundcarelifecoaching.com, if you go to, I believe it's the features section, you'll see the book of the month. And I have as the book of the month, The Happiness Trap, How to Stop Struggling and Start Living by Russ Harris. The forward is by Stephen Hayes, a PhD, who is the uh, founder of Action and uh, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy. You're going to get the, uh, the fundamentals uh, about Acceptance and Commitment Therapy in that book. You can kind of look at my uh, summary review of the book at my website. Uh, it's going to talk about the, what, what's referred to as the hexaflex, and that's uh, the six core principles of acceptance and commitment therapy as i mentioned in the introductionary piece of this uh, podcast um, so in, in terms of the first chunk of information uh, that 
I was uh, delivered. It, uh, it kind of addressed one specific thought so far um, as uh, we look at and consider, you know, what are we doing uh, in ACT? And I want to give uh, credit to the person uh, that is uh, facilitating this workshop, uh, Peter Sheffield, who is uh, working on a doctorate at the University of Toronto. And in his PowerPoint slides, um, and I won't go through them uh, all because um, I do not want to uh, infringe upon uh, any uh, rights by any means. But um, just, the, the, you know, what are we doing in ACT? Uh, there's one slide, and it says ACT is about doing three things, cultivating a more flexible sense of self, fostering meaning and motivation, and acting and shaping behavior change, and doing so, doing so with context sensitivity. So the first idea, I think, and I'm trying to figure out how to make this relevant to a person who wants to create for oneself a self-directed curriculum for wellness, uh, you know, uh, initiate in this endeavor called uh, self-directed coaching. And the, the first fundamental idea that I think is important uh, that, you know, could be helpful, it relates to uh, the, the philosophy underlying this uh, theoretical position and it's what is called functional contextualism. And in terms of functional contextualism, there's a contrast to a more elemental or mechanistic approach. And uh, there's th more or less a uh, couple of things here that we might want to consider and not lose sight of if we're going to, at some point, use some strategies that are associated with ACT. And uh, that is, um, you know, uh, the thought that from a mechanistic perspective and an elemental perspective, while there are things out there uh, that are considered real and independent, you know, the world out there separate from me uh, that's made out of parts and that, uh, you know, I'll know when I've stumbled upon the truth because in terms of the mental model I have in my, my mind, it will correspond with the truth out there. Uh, in contrast to that is this uh, functional contextual approach. And it's that, you know, um, there could be real things out there. Um, but the goal is to understand our lived experience in terms of acts and context. You know, the, the uh, committed action uh, behaviors in a situated experience. Um, we're having a circumstance that we're a part of. And, you know, in terms of what truth is, it's about... Uh, work, the workings of acts and context in, in the service of a goal. So um, those are just two uh, slide uh, set of thoughts related to two slides that I wanted to kind of point out because it sets the scene for what might be uh, the takeaway thought in this kind of first module about action and commitment therapy. And it's the idea of, in terms of the core principles or core processes, that uh, self exists as a context. And I, th I just think that this is really important in terms of any relationship that we have, um, you know, in terms of our relationship with ourselves, in terms of our relationship with the environment, in terms of our relationship with our significant other, in terms of relationship with friends, family, coworkers, is that, you know, while we can go into the world and we can influence other people, 
um, they also influence us. And in that sense, there's no static, unchanging self per se, but there is this dynamic, evolving, growing, emerging self. And uh, Peter, in, in our talk at this point, uh, referred to a, um, a metaphor uh, shared many moons ago by the pre-Socratic thinker Heraclitus. And Heraclitus said, um, you can never step into the same river twice because you know the minute you step in the river and you come out of the river, uh, the river has changed because of the nature of the river, but we were also changed by the river. So when we enter the river once again, we are fundamentally somewhat different and changed uh, because of our previous experience. And so, I mean, how does that play itself out in terms of self-development, uh, self-improvement, self-growth, um, self-care? I would like to link it to uh, one thought and have that uh, stand as the takeaway from uh, this module in terms of uh, my ongoing discussion about self-care. Now, I think that there could be a better way of labeling or introducing what it is that we're talking about when we talk about self-care. And when we talk about self-care, the idea is that there's this me, this unchanging me that I am responsible for taking care of. And if I'm successful, it's because I've done you know, what I'm supposed to do. And if I'm not successful, it's because somehow maybe I failed. And that position doesn't recognize the fact that we exist in a context, in a situation. And if we want to be well, I think a better way of framing this idea of self-care would be what, I, what I'm going to refer to as interbeing wellness. That if I recognize in relationship to you and uh, the two of us in relationship to the world around us that you know we are interconnected and that we influence one another and we shape one another and we are constantly emerging and, and moving forward into something new that for me to be able to take care of myself I have to sanction and give permission for you to take care of yourself and we kind of create a scaffolding where by me identifying and declaring that I need to be well, it's a recognition that you therefore also need to be well. And that for me to be well, if I can get your buy-in and for you to get well, if you can get my buy-in and we can work together uh, through a kind of act of solidarity, through an ethic of care, that we're more likely, you know, in terms of both of our goals of being well, uh, in moving towards a place of Total, uh, greater total wellness. And so I think that's really helpful in terms of identifying, you know, this underlying philosophy with this thing called acceptance and commitment therapy. If you'll notice, whenever I'm talking about act, I, I often say action and commitment therapy. And uh, because there is a very actionable component, it's about 
making a deliberate decision to move in the direction of wellness by creating an action plan or behaving in certain ways or behaving in new ways or by not behaving in certain past previous ways and that we can then therefore move in that direction. But the, when, it, when I do stumble in that uh, direction, um, I'm overlooking the fact that there is this bigger, uh, well not bigger, but this also very important piece called acceptance. And the idea of making space and room for that which is uncomfortable, not trying to cast it out, and to recognize that you know, we, we have to make space for that which is uncomfortable, but at the same time, it could wake us up to the things that are important to us, so then we can start to move in a direction of deliberate um, living and we can create those goals that we want for ourselves that are important. So I think that's uh, going to be what I'm going to share as my takeaway thought um, from the uh, first part of my day of training, which I'm going to call module one. So I'm not sure, uh, but I believe that we're going to be moving into a discussion called relational frame theory. And I'm interested to learn more about and discover what that might consist of. So I hope you're enjoying this different um, and perhaps even strange kind of experience as uh, I'm trying to capture my experience as a learner um, as I'm attending this, this workshop that's helping me in terms of my professional and, I will say, my personal um, development and growth. Okay, well, welcome to module two. This is a, a wrap up of my first day for the Under the Hood second workshop, going a little bit deeper with the acceptance commitment therapy training. The uh, second chunk of the day focused on this thing called relational frame theory. It's a contextual account of our experience being in this world. And I'll give you a couple thoughts about relational frame theory, and then I'll try to make it relevant uh, from a self-care perspective or a self-coaching perspective, which is my ultimate goal in terms of this podcast. So relational frame theory, it's uh, an account about how we acquire, use, and transform the world with language. It's basically suggesting that language makes us who we are. And as ACT is grounded in a what's called a radical behavioralism, that, you know, the, the perspective that everything is a behavior, knowing that some of the behaviors uh, present themselves in a phenomenal sense in terms of uh, private events, things that can't be witnessed by others, uh, there needs to be a way of trying to understand uh, the symbolism that we experience as we move through life. Uh, so the, the idea, the core idea of RFT, relational frame theory, is that um, we are using language to relate to one another and it is a way for us to link up the world and we have these these frames that, that shape how we see ourselves and 
the way then we subsequently act in the world. And a couple things we need to know about this is that, you know, once we have an idea and it goes in us uh, and we internalize it and we hold on to it, it's hard for us to get it out. And, and the question becomes, well, you know, what, what's the implication of this? You know, if you, can't, if you can't delete something in terms of the way you frame the world, um, what, what does that mean we're left with? And the idea would be that uh, we can, if we can't delete a frame, we can, we can add to them, we can enhance them, we can uh, explore them, and we can try to expand perhaps what might be an unhelpful relational frame that we might be holding in terms of the way we relate to ourselves, we, the way we relate to other people, uh, the way we relate to the world around us. So for me to make this relevant, uh, this very abstract uh, theoretical discussion that I was a part of would be um, relating it to uh, self-care. So the question I, I would I would pose is, you know, what what is self-care? And we have, uh, based on the language that we we've em embraced, uh, that has shaped us, and and because it's shaped us, and we embrace it, and it shapes the way we interact with the world, we have ideas about what self-care is. So, you know, my my first thought would be to ask the question in terms of trying to figure out the value of incorporating an understanding of relational frame theory into our self-care practices would be, you know, to ask the question, what is self-care? What does self-care mean to you? If we take a definition from the World Health Organization, you know, self-care is about the ability of individuals, families, and communities to promote health, prevent disease, maintain health, and to cope with illnesses and disability with or without the support of healthcare providers. Now there is a an organization and a connected website called the International Self-Care Foundation. And they noted, if you go to the web page and you look at the different pillars of self-care, they've noticed that there's a lot of different discussions and definitions out there about what self-care is. And you know, in terms of making some sense of this relational frame theory, would be that in terms of our own experiences, you know, to contextualize that question means that everyone that might be listening to this sharing right now, this specific podcast episode, has their own ideas. They have their own frames, their own relational frames about what self-care might mean to them. And you know, I'd like to ask uh, the listener to explore, you know, what does self-care mean to you? And in terms of uh, the possible answers, you know, ask the further question, is the frame that you have, is it helpful? Is it something that can serve you in terms of moving toward the direction uh, that you would like your life to move in, in terms of a meaningful way? Now, there's a whole bunch of different notions that people might have about self-care. Someone might think that self-care is a luxury. That's their frame. And uh, if it's a luxury and there's uh, some work to do around the house and you're just finished, a, uh, you know, an eight hour workday or perhaps a, a nine or 12 hour workday and you know, you're working, you know, five uh, days a week and then you come home 
and you have this idea that you know self-care is an indulgence instead of maybe doing something for yourself uh, with yourself i.e like going for a walk um, and that's in a relational frame perspective as well the idea you know are you alone um, uh, when you get home are you with yourself and if there's this thing that people have been talking about in terms of self-care and it might include going for a walk with yourself um, are you inclined to do that if you believe that when you get home you're alone and uh, that this idea, this thing called self-care is a luxury? Um, you know, uh, it, it includes having lots of money and then being able to go out and to do things. Uh, what about if you think self-care is an indulgence? Uh, the idea of like, you know, going for a walk actually doesn't cost a lot of money. Um, I, I would think perhaps it wouldn't compare to other things like going for a spa outing. And if your thinking is that to, to go for a walk would be self-indulgent where there are still things to do around the house like the dishes or the vacuuming, um, you're probably not inclined to do that. So in terms of a relational frame theory, in terms of looking at one person's relationship with the idea of self-care, and they, at different points, report being overwhelmed, tired, exhausted, uh, maybe feeling depressed, would be to say, well, if we expand an understanding about what self-care is, uh, could that be helpful? And what might uh, you be open to in terms of engaging in this thing called self-care? So we might say, well, maybe self-care is not just going out and having a walk or engaging in... Um, uh, you know, a luxurious outing uh, to a, a hot spa someplace. Uh, maybe maybe self-care is about setting a boundary with someone, right? And when you set that boundary uh, and you, you take care of yourself and you kind of honor yourself and you make sure you're, you, that you're indicating to other people that this is not okay. Like when you do this, it's not okay and therefore I'm going to set my boundary maybe engaging in self-care, you might be a little bit more open to it. And that could open the, the door to some additional other things. It's like, well, you know, if, if it's helpful and taking care of myself is setting boundaries that I can't always say yes uh, to um, using my time just to constantly be engaged in work um, and, and I need to set a boundary in terms of the way I'm being treated, uh, maybe I can also uh, possibly go for that walk. Uh, self-care, we might also think, could be having a difficult conversation. Uh, it, it doesn't, in, in that sense, it's not an indulgent or luxury. Uh, it, it might be, at that point, a necessity, something that you do because it's essential for your wellness. You know, there's a book out right now by Gaber Mate, and I think I'm going to feature it uh, in the, the book of the month uh, coming up um, after uh, people maybe get a chance to visit my current book of the month um, review, which I shared earlier, is on the uh, happiness trap. Um, there's this discussion that uh, in terms of chronic illness um, and the, the exploration of this book by Gabor Mate, The Myth of Normal, would be that there are stresses, uh, there are these kind of personality traits that... Uh, lead to an increased likelihood of uh, illness. And Gabor Mate is not suggesting by any means that we would blame people for the situations that they find themselves in because we live in, once again, a context. 
And in terms of our context, certain things are rewarded and reinforced and we internalize them. And this is a part of our learning histories. And hence, this is the, uh, the, the construction of our relational frames. And so, you know, we might have this idea that, you know, uh, I don't want to uh, create conflict. I don't want to make people uncomfortable. Therefore, I won't set a boundary. But if we kind of stretch our, our thoughts about what self-care might mean and include the idea of setting a boundary and that there would be benefits, and one of the benefits would be the reduction in the possibility of long-term chronic illness, um, we then might have an expanded sense of what self-care might mean. And we will then not only set a boundary, uh, we might then not only have, to have a hard conversation, but we might enjoy a walk because it just seems to make sense and it fits. It's all a part of this expanded category of self-care. One of the other things I think that we should always consider as a part of self-care would be the idea of giving an apology when we haven't treated people well. Uh, because we are shaped by other people and other people shape us, relationships are fundamental to happiness. Uh, and when we do what we do knowing we're um, learning and sometimes we stumble uh, and we're not always the best versions of ourselves, self-care might include apologizing to someone, which I think should be a part of any anger management discussion or any anger management workshop or course. Uh, the idea of like apologizing, being specific about the violation that we're responsible for and identifying how we will make amends and going forward, what we'll we'll do to make sure that we won't repeat this um, offense because we care about the other person. So relational frame theory is recognizing in terms of this example that we have ideas about self-care. Asking ourselves, where did we get these ideas? What does it mean to us? And in terms of the life that we want, is this idea that we have right now serving us or can we expand our sense of um, what uh, self-care might mean so that we can arrive at a larger understanding and perhaps at a little bit of a different perspective about what self-care is and then we can invite it into our lives. So that's uh, a way I guess I'm going to try to wrap up module two. Uh, tomorrow I will uh, continue with my second day of training. In the morning I will uh, have an, uh, an opportunity to learn some more about the power of metaphors in uh, ACT therapy, acceptance commitment therapy. And I will then summarize that module and I'll conclude uh, I, I believe with a, a first mod, a fourth module, and that will be the um, the summary uh, account f for me uh, at this point about what ACT means and how it might be valuable in my life, and maybe there might be some benefits to you incorporating some of the principles and, and theories and strategies into your life. I guess uh, I guess we'll see. Thanks. Okay, good morning. This is not yet uh, an, another module in uh, training, our training, my training. Uh, actually, this is just uh, the morning of day two of training. I'm having myself a decaf cup of coffee. And I was just thinking about training in general. I was also doing a little bit of additional research before the day started in terms of relational frame theory, the last thing that we talked about yesterday, just to make sure I understood it. And I think I got it 
and, uh, and, I, and that I related it to self-care, which is my concern for this particular uh, episode. Um, but so yeah, two things. So first of all, in terms of a frame that I have or a view that I have about myself, a perspective, you know, trying to relate it back to relational frame theory, uh, as language shapes the way we interact with these things in our world, and as I have uh, different experiences, I am going to use language and uh, create a, a frame in which I can see myself. And so I have this idea of myself uh, as someone who loves learning, and I have this idea that uh, learning could mean uh, discovering new things, and it, it can be an emotional process for sure, and it is connected to growth. And so one of the things uh, that I would say about myself is that I see myself as a lifelong learner. So because I have this opportunity to train today, uh, I'm excited because it means that I can learn something that I'm interested in. I, I, I mean, I, I picked the training. And uh, furthermore, that even if the training wasn't really, as I'm experiencing it, if I discovered it wasn't really what I thought it was going to be, I'm always uh, of the thinking that I need to take something and make it my own. And that would be my encouragement with this particular podcast that I'm sharing right now in terms of acceptance and commitment therapy as we talk about these different um, module chunks of uh, the material that is being shared with me and then now I'm sharing with you. The, the goal will always be how do you take something and make it your own? And if you can do that, you're going to walk away with a win. And uh, so my goal is to invite you, the listener, to think about um, ways in which you might be able to use some of these ideas uh, in terms of act and incorporate it into a self-directed self -directed curriculum for wellness, how you could use it if you want to step into the role of a self-care ambassador, or if you want to engage in this thing called self-coaching. So that, that's my hope. Now, just to kind of recapture uh, this idea of relational frame theory, I've been trying to think about how I set it up in the last module as it relates to self-care. I think I did a pretty good job, um, but I, th I thought it'd be better maybe to give an example in terms of what we're talking about with this thing called relational frame theory. So basically, the, the premise is we... Um, experience and understand the world through language. Um, and uh, we have these things that are called derived relationships or these things that are called triangles of thought. We have a bunch of um, experiences directly, but we also will make conclusions about other things because of similarity, because of some symmetry, even though we haven't directly had experience with those things, and it creates a lens through which we see the world. And at times this can be helpful, and at times this could be unhelpful. Uh, at times it can get in our way because we start to identify with uh, the language that we've embraced and the language that we've internalized. So how does this relate to self-care? So my, my thought is there could be someone who I might ask the question, what is self-care? 
and someone, their, 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 their immediate thought is self-care is uh, a luxury and it's self-indulgent. And then I might ask them, you know, like in terms of that frame that you have, you know, how did you come to identify with that frame? And they're like, well, you know, I'm like, I'm a soldier and soldiers have to be strong. And, you know, you always have to be ready. And uh, when, when you're called upon, you need to step up and metaphorically draw your sword. And uh, in, in that case, uh, there's no time for self-care. We say, okay. But what if you say that, you know, as, you know, the total being you are, is, are you only a soldier? And like, no, no, I, I guess I'm a, I'm a, I'm a husband and, I'm a, and I'm, a, I'm a father and I'm a son. And say, okay. So in terms of like those other things, in terms of the frame that you have right now about self-care, uh, maybe self-care might not fit with this idea of being a soldier. But what about, let's, let's extend your frame of who you are and how you identify in terms of the space uh, that you occupy in this world. And, you know, in terms of a father and a husband, now let's say, you, you are engaged in a war. You know, we can, we can imagine uh, the, the conflict that's taking place in uh, the Ukraine uh, with, you know, Ukraine and Russia. And we can say that on both sides of the fence, if you're a soldier or if you're a civilian, it wouldn't be strange to think that at some point, if we're able to find a resolution to this and, and, and get out of this and move forward and hopefully move to a place of healing, um, it wouldn't be strange to think that a lot of people are going to be struggling with anxiety, depression, loss. They're going to be possibly dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder. And if that's the case, as a soldier who fulfilled the soldier's role and then afterwards is dealing with this thing called PTSD. If we're not careful, is uh, the ideas that you're holding, the frame you're holding about self-care, could it actually get in the way of you, in fact, still being the best soldier that you want to be? But could it also get in the way of you being the best father you want to be and the best husband you want to be and the best citizen you want to be and, you know, the best human being that you want to be, right? So the idea of relational frame theory is recognizing that we can over-identify with some frames and some of the things that we think we didn't even directly experience, they're just derived through these other relationships and that we, get, we can get caught up in a web of things and we're actually seeing the world through language that we're projecting onto the world and the world might not in fact be the way we talk about it and we get confused, right? And so we might need to expand our understanding and our frames and at times maybe even explore and challenge some of our frames so that we can move in a healthier direction. So that's the, the thought I'd like to share in terms of self-care and relational frame theory. You know, what are the ideas that you have about self-care? You know, we like to collect and connect information. 
And some of this information we have is based on personal firsthand experience, and sometimes it's based through vicarious learning. And in terms of the information that we've collected and connected through this you know, apparatus called language in terms of our relationship with one another, is it accurate? Is it helpful? Is it helping us move forward or is it holding us back? If it in fact is a web that we've caught, been caught in that is holding us back, the question becomes what are the things that we can do so that we can get out of and unstuck from these certain frames? And the idea from an act position would be to pivot and to try to look at it from different perspectives. So, uh, and I think one of the things that they're going to identify is, that's really helpful in terms of the hexaflex and those six core practices and principles uh, that I just got the, discussed at the beginning is the power of metaphor. So I'll leave it there. And soon I will be back for module three. Okay, welcome to Module 3. We talked about in Module 3 metaphors and relationships. Once again, I'm always trying to connect this material that I'm learning in terms of my professional capacity to the idea of being a self-care ambassador or a life coach concierge who is promoting uh, this idea of self-coaching for other people. So the idea would be that uh, metaphors are powerful because they convey information. And there are qualities about the metaphor that become obvious and, and you can kind of transfer these obvious like qualities that you notice to the experience a person's having, right? And the idea would be that if as uh, individuals we were able to find uh, or create metaphors for ourselves to live by, that this could be empowering for many reasons. Uh, first of all, by creating or discovering or using a particular metaphor for our life or whatever it is we're talking about, at some point, I'm going to introduce the idea of self-care. It has the benefit of kind of pointing out to us or capturing um, what's important about a situation, about our lived experience. Metaphors are useful because they can clarify things. They can help us take the different frames that we have about who we are, uh, our worldview, about um, if it's a kind world, if it's an unkind world, if it's a world with meaning or a world without meaning, if it's an absurd world, um, or if it's a world where either salvation or enlightenment is possible, it provides us with an opportunity to become aware of essential themes that are important to us. 
Right? And we can use these metaphors when life is confusing, when we're caught up in the web of all these uh, different frames that we have, uh, to clarify so that we can work towards changing things and getting a sense of things because of the, the clarification. So specifically, I'm thinking about what could be an appropriate metaphor for self-care. And remember, when we're talking about self-care, we have to ask ourselves in terms of our particular frame of what self-care is, you know, coming up with that definition. What is it? Where did, where did we get that frame? When that, when that frame first introduced itself into our lives? Is it a limiting frame? Is it helpful? Is it not helpful? And uh, could there be some benefits to us growing that frame uh, in terms of understanding what self-care might include? I find that one powerful metaphor for me in terms of navigating life and, you know, as a, as a treater working with young, young souls who are struggling perhaps with um, what we'll call unhelpful or unhealthy relationships with substances. You know, young souls, people using substances uh, would be the, the bus metaphor. And I think that we could use it for, for self-care as well. It, it, it acknowledges the uh, principle of self-determination that we play a part in determining the direction our life moves. Not totally, not completely, because we are situated in a context, in a situation, but that we can act upon our situation. Uh, we have a degree of agency in that situation. And so it's as if we, you know, we're finding ourselves in a city and there's an infrastructure in place and I didn't so much construct the city. I didn't organize the layout. I'm not the city planner by any means but I have my bus and I'm navigating the city and it's a matter about uh, a matter of determining where it is that I want to go. And as I'm doing this, you know, when I recognize that I'm driving my bus, there's certain responsibilities that seem to present themselves. And there's certain uh, prerogatives and privileges as well in terms of like deciding uh, where I want to go. And when I open the door to my bus, I can invite people on. I can, you know, identify where perhaps I might want them to sit on my bus. And uh, at times uh, I might find that when I'm getting tired or overwhelmed, I might be in a situation where I want someone to drive my bus, but it's my bus. And so I might invite people to the front of the bus to sit with me, to be there with me during those, those bumpy rides those turbulent rides. And then, you know, when I, when I get through those difficult times that I can actually celebrate uh, with the people on my life. And then there'll be points in terms of self care where people come on my bus and at different seasons in my life where people will exit your bus. And in terms of self care, we might say we have certain ideas about what self care might be and what it might look like. You know, self care is something that is a luxury. Self care is something that is an indulgent. Self care is something that weak people do. And we'll ask ourselves, you know, where did I get these ideas? And uh, in terms of our relationships with others, with the world around us, with the world 
the, the language that we use to describe the world, that we might be, be able to expand our definition. Um, and as some people exit our bus, if you know they see the decisions we're making about this thing called self-care don't kind of sit or resonate with them and new people come on our bus, we can get closer to the destination that we're going. So I guess my invitation uh, for this particular part of the module, which is like, I have to say, I, I really enjoyed this aspect of the discussion about acceptance and commitment therapy and its uh, connected relationship with this thing called relational frame therapy. And I, I look at my life and I, and I recognize there's so many metaphors, these rich metaphors that help me uh, situate myself in, in the world, organize myself, um, and then orient me for direction to move forward, to take committed action in a meaningful direction. Some of the metaphors I have would be, you know, I have already identified the, you know, who, you know, who's driving your bus, you know, you're driving your bus metaphor. And then if you're not driving your bus, then, uh, you know, we, we have some kind of concerns because you might end up someplace that you don't want to be. But we also have the uh, things on your plate metaphor. You know, sometimes you might have so many things happening in your life that you feel like you have too many things on your plate. And in terms of getting some of those things off your plate, do you need to get some of those things that are big, that are urgent? Or do you want to approach the things that are easier and try to get them off your plate as more things seem to go onto your plate? And we can enter into discussions of balance and you know uh, this idea of interbeing wellness where we invite people and we build community and an ethic of, ethic of care so that we can support each other with these things on our plates. And then we get into this idea of uh, another metaphor that I think is quite powerful is uh, um, the feeding and extinguishing the fire of dot, 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 you know, feeding and extinguishing the fire of uh, good mental health. You know, what are the things when I do them, they feed the fire of good mental health? What are the things that when I do them, they extinguish the fire of good mental health? You know, uh, feeding and extinguishing the fire of depression. What are the things that when I do them, feed the fire of depression? What are the things when I do them, extinguish the fire of depression. So my invitation for this module would be in terms of self-care or even just generally speaking in terms of your life, what is a metaphor that you've noticed that you seem to go back to, that you, you, know, you use and then you return to time and again that gives you a sense of direction. It orients you so that you can move forward in a purposeful way. What is it? Is it, and, and is it something that you would be willing to share with others that, that it might be a gift that they might be, be able to accept and put into their toolbox, their um, spiritual toolbox, so that they can move towards greater levels of, uh, of wellness and, and happiness? And, and if you don't have a metaphor to guide you um, in terms of life or your relationships with self-care, what do you think? A healthy, helpful metaphor might be. Where where could you look? Who who could you talk to? I think that you know, in terms of uh, life, a really great metaphor is uh, the uh, the grounded tree and uh, its deep rootedness. And that you know, to be healthy in this world, we need you know a 
um, a firm groundedness. We need the, the roots to go deep to, to collect all those nutrients. And we need branches that reach upward. And we notice that with the tree metaphor, that there are different seasons in life. And, and I mean, the seasons themselves are neither good nor bad, but we can kind of give the seasons kind of flavors uh, that kind of match our lived experiences. And you can say, you know, like this is, you know, the winter of um, my current chapter in life. This is the spring, you know, there's a blossoming. You know, this is the summer. And uh, it feels like there's something comfortable about being able to come back to that tree metaphor, knowing that uh, we can be firmly rooted, but yet still reach out to um, different infinite possibilities. So what metaphor can you anchor yourself in? Okay, welcome to module four. And in terms of some thoughts that I have to share to kind of conclude the training that I had and I'm sharing with you uh, in terms of possible benefits of thinking about uh, reframe for self-care. I guess uh, the point that was emphasized at the end is in terms of ACT acceptance and commitment therapy uh, in terms of being in this world and having a self that exists in a context that can change um, as uh, I am influenced by the world and I influence the world and a large part of the way that the world is experienced is from the language that I use to describe the world. Uh, the uh, three centerpiece ideas that were identified as the goal of this thing called ACT is that uh, we want to try to cultivate a more flexible sense of self. So we've talked about uh, in past uh, podcasts uh, the difference between a fixed mindset and a growth mindset and uh, this idea that we are this thing. Uh, Sartre would say we are a no thing like you know the idea of nothing is a no thing we are a dynamic process and that uh, this this self is evolving and changing and dynamic and fluid and it is shaped by our context and uh, we influence others and others influence us and that when we have challenges when we get stuck the good news is that there might be some activities we can engage in that will help us expand our uh, sense of self and help us with this thing called psychological flexibility. The other goal of ACT would be to foster meaning and motivation. And that's where values come in. And the invitation for individuals, for people, for souls to when you wake up in the morning to live consciously and deliberately and ask yourself, what is it that motivates me in the morning to get out of bed? What is the thing that 
gives me meaning and purpose, right? So there could be any number of things on a person's list that we could identify that could be meaningful and that motivate us. And, you know, for me, it's, it's family, um, family and friends and connection and community and an ethic of care. And also uh, viewing myself as a lifelong learner, uh, continuous education, growing and living my authentic life. And the last thing is that uh, ACT provides us a framework with this thing called relational frame theory, uh, where we can, with the different tools, the ACT tools, we could we can initiate change. We can we can activate some change. At the end of any training, I guess the, the goal will always be kind of like, wh what's the takeaway? I guess the takeaway uh, would be that uh, there's still a lot more learning for me to do um, in terms of understanding ACT from a therapeutic perspective and also uh, the ways that maybe ACT could be integrated into a self-directed curriculum for wellness uh, in terms of self-care or self-coaching. The thing that in this moment I find that I'm walking away with from a relational frame theory perspective is that there are some things I think about the world, some ideas I have that are not directly based on first-hand experience. I have a, a first-hand experience of some things and I might know this to be true over here um, and we'll call it A and I might know that this to be true over here about uh, B and I might know the relationship of A to B but then all of a sudden um, as I'm thinking about the relationship not of A to B but A to C or C, uh, C to B um, even though I haven't directly experienced these things, I can derive a kind of an understanding or a position or beliefs about the world. And that sometimes these derived ideas are inaccurate. Sometimes they're unhelpful. And uh, that if I take an opportunity to reflect deliberately, I might recognize that there are some things that I'm doing that are not helpful, that I could maybe do differently. And in, in that sense, what I'm doing is expanding my sense of self and who I am and how I'm going to navigate through this world. And it can add to and contribute to a greater personal meaning for me as I continue and move forward with my lived experience. This has been really rewarding and I'm really feeling fortunate that I had this opportunity to learn and I'm looking forward to continuing to learn some more. The one thing I didn't talk about that was kind of in module three, but I focused on metaphors, it's just the idea of, in life, um, how do we tackle things when we get stuck? And if you read uh, the book that I recommended by Russ Harris called The Happiness Trap, there are a lot of suggestions. But I just kind of want to note right here and kind of 
normalize or you know validate the reality that at times we, we get stuck and sometimes you know we might find ourselves sitting in this and if we're struggling from a self-care perspective one of the things we might want to ask ourselves is what are the things that if we do them might allow us to take care of ourselves so that we'll be equipped to tackle the thing that's causing us to be stuck. So thank you for joining me for this module, modulized conversation about uh, acceptance and commitment therapy. I hope it was instructive. I've got a bunch of different resources in the show notes and my invitation is to ask the question, you know, did anything strike a chord with you? Did anything resonate? What is it and how can you take it forward with you as you move forward uh, in terms of a meaningful direction for yourself? Peace, take care, be well and share.